Welcome back to another episode of One Roof, Many Stories. My name is Minsa Blee. And I'm Megan Pham. We are both part of the Advocacy and Engagement Committees at Bruin Shelter, which is a student-run organization that provides shelter for students experiencing homelessness. Today, we are going to be talking about women experiencing homelessness, which is an issue that, unfortunately, has been overlooked by many people. This episode includes discussion about houselessness, racism, sexism, domestic violence, gender violence, anti-LGBTQ+, and mental illness. So please keep that in mind while listening to the podcast. Please note that the views of this show are the personal opinions of the host and the guests and may not necessarily reflect the views of Bruin Shelter or its affiliated organizations or people. For more information about Bruin Shelter and its missions, visit BruinShelter.org. For context, 39.7% of all individuals experiencing homelessness are women, and that number has increased by 41% in just the past six years. Currently, there are about 10,845 women experiencing homelessness in the city of Los Angeles today. These statistics were provided by the Downtown Women's Center, which is the only organization in Los Angeles focused on serving and empowering women experiencing homelessness. Founded in 1978, the organization currently manages 119 units of permanent housing across LA, serving more than 5,400 women annually. We are fortunate enough to have a representative from the Downtown's Women's Center joining us today, Anita Vukovic. Anita, would you like to introduce yourself and your role in this organization? Um, Yeah, that'd be great. Um, So my name's Anita. Thank you so much for having me uh, on your show today. Um, I am the Advocacy and Communication Coordinator at the Downtown Women's Center. And so that basically uh, means a number of things and a lot of different things depending on the day. Um, So includes kind of shepherding external requests that we might get from community partners or journalists or students such as yourself, um, even different research groups looking to kind of consult and learn a bit more about the issues. Um, I also help coordinate and write uh, most of our external communications that go to um, our pretty large audience of volunteers, donors, general kind of supporters. Um, And so we're very involved on social media. Um, We have a, I think it's bi-monthly newsletter series, a number of kind of email alerts that we send out. um, And I also help manage the website. Um, Through all that, I'm also kind of support the development arm. So to fundraise um, and kind of reach new people and ask them for their money and their time. Um, And yeah, another important element is working with staff and um, some of the women who come to the Downtown Women's Center and have gone through some of our training programs um, when they are engaging in interviews with journalists or uh, kind of other external entities. So to coach them, to prepare them, um, to be there for questions and kind of just to make sure that everything that we do aligns with our values and pushes the work forward. Awesome, that sounds great. Um, also, thank you for taking the time to be with us today. So going into our questions, specifically, what are some actions that DWC are trying to take to advocate for women in these situations? Um, so while our mission is to uh, end homelessness for women in Los Angeles, 
um, through four things. Those are housing, wellness, like healthcare, um, employment and advocacy. And so it's through those kind of four areas that all of our work or most of our work is concentrated and framed um, because we believe that each of those things are critical, not only to housing women, but keeping them housed um, so that they can retain housing. And under each of the four items, um, we have a number of different programs that would probably take me like 15 minutes to go through. Um, but in terms of housing, we ourselves maintain 119 units of what's called permanent supportive housing. And that's basically just um, housing without time limits that's affordable, uh, where residents have 24 seven access to supportive services so they can stay housed. Um, we also connect women to uh, community-based housing throughout Los Angeles. Um, and we have re or rapid rehousing programs that are meant to kind of help women who are at risk of imminently becoming homeless um, or have just become uh, access resources so that they can rapidly get housed and then stay housed. Uh, and, oh, for a permanent supportive housing, we're actually going to be expanding to about 400 units um, across Los Angeles, very well, kind of soon, you know, in development. So we're really excited about that. Um, in terms of <laughs> wellness, uh, we have um, we have a drop-in day center that's unfortunately now closed, um, where due to COVID-19, um, but women are still able to kind of access all the services that they used to be able to do through it, and that. Um, provides women with free daily meals, uh, showers, restrooms, um, access to our women's only health clinic, case management, more intensive clinical um, mental health care services. Um, we have a workforce development program. We also have a social enterprise called Made by DWC. That's perfect for shopping for the holidays if anyone um, is still scrambling to find presents. Um, yeah, it's really great stuff and it's all kind of curated by women in a job training program um, they make uh, candles, bath salts, um, soaps, journals, artwork, and everything that's sold, and then profits go back to Made by DWC and DWC. Um, and we hire a bunch of women through there as, as well. And then advocacy, I'll just leave it at that, um, but that's kind of the arm where we also try to really amplify the voices of these women who have um, gone through some of our programs or we've been connected to um, because we really see their needs and experiences like from their perspective as being critical to driving the conversation and illuminating the areas that we need to, you know, improve and build out support and things like that. And that's, uh, yeah, rapid, <laughs> rapid fire response to your question. Well, that's so interesting that you guys all tackle four different areas. And I'm very excited for your expansion for the housing program. So moving on, to the, yeah, moving on to the next question then, uh, oftentimes, what do you encounter as common causes that lead to homelessness, especially for women? Um, so I know that we've maybe talked a little bit about these um, prior to this, but uh, for all the listeners, we've found that um, our research has found, not just the Downtown Women's Center, um, it's kind of a combination of uh, sudden economic and social burdens that women in general, and especially women who are living um, individually or with children, but you know, not without the support of a partner or spouse, 
um, are especially vulnerable to, more vulnerable than men. Um, and so that has a number of different reasons. I mean, among them like disparities in education, employment, uh, a persistent gender pay gap. Um, and we find that domestic violence and um, different forms of interpersonal violence uh, are a primary cause actually of homelessness for women. Um, and it's not just women. Research has shown that I believe more than one in three individuals who experience that sort of violence actually become homeless or experience it at some point in their lives. So it's a huge, yeah, it's a huge um, issue and one that we are trying to devote more attention and funding to. Um, and the really kind of terrible thing about it is that all of these vulnerabilities that often lead women to homelessness are also, um, they become kind of cyclical once women are in house. So they become even more vulnerable to them once they are without housing and without shelter. And so those experiences kind of accumulate and just continue. Um, and that's where we try and focus a lot of our efforts. Yeah. And the trauma of it is something that then kind of continues to present another barrier if service providers or uh, public departments don't understand trauma or recognize symptoms of it, um, then you know they might not get the kind of help that they need. They might be turned away from services that could help save their lives, um, put them on the path to personal stability. So it's like, yeah, really big area of kind of necessary growth. Right. Um, thank you for sharing that. I feel like it's a really difficult topic to talk about, but um, I think it is necessary at times. So thank you for that. For sure. So building on that, what are some unique challenges faced by women experiencing homelessness? Um, so kind of all of the, right. So um, increased experiences of violence as we were just talking about um, vulnerability to it. Um, women, once they are unhoused, um, also tend to experience uh, mental and physical illnesses more frequently, um, even disabilities. Um, so every three years uh, we do what's called a needs assessment. Um, and this, the last one was published earlier this year with the data collected in 2019. Um, the downtown, no, the Los Angeles City Women's Needs Assessment. Um, so we collaborate with various partners on that. Um, and 40% of the respondents to that one actually had an ambulatory disability. So we know that that is um, a huge kind of um, difficulty that they face that, you know, life unsheltered or unhoused um, can create. Um, another kind of big area of need or challenges is um, accessibility to women or gender specific uh, services or even just enough access to affordable housing or shelter. Um, so we know that there aren't enough shelter beds in LA designated for women um, and that a lot of women don't necessarily feel safe staying in them. Uh, and so in getting every woman housed, we need to develop those shelter and housing options. And that's kind of at the forefront of um, what we're trying to do. Yeah, for sure. I was looking at the needs assessment and I was just like very surprised because it was just like, I didn't realize like a lot of like the points brought up were like prevalent today, especially like yeah. how it's harder for like females to like access like healthcare or just like any other like 
gender related like activity going off of the needs assessment and like looking into the demographics we noticed that according to the assessment 24.1 percent of newly houseless women are black women and 35.4 percent are latina what are some other common demographics that you see in the homeless community i mean so that's a really big and prevalent one and that and one that's gotten you know a lot of increased attention, especially following um, the protests after George Floyd's death earlier this year. Um, and just the kind of overrepresentation, not only of black individuals, but all communities of color um, among homeless populations. Um, and so one thing that we're actually working on to help support that is called Project 100 that we can talk a bit more about later, but projects like that that are um, kind of framed and structured in mind in order to serve the needs of communities that haven't been served um, well enough before or even at all. Um, another kind of major like demographic uh, takeaway, I guess, um, is the fact that more, I think about half of the women that we surveyed in the needs assessment were over the age of 51. Um, so taking the needs of older women into account um, and what's kind of just as troubling though is the fact that in this recent needs assessment, we saw that more younger women are becoming uh, newly homeless too. So um, vulnerabilities are kind of continuing to exist and change shape. And I mean, especially right now um, during the pandemic, uh, we don't really have a clear idea of like how the population has grown with the economic follow. Um, hopefully we'll have one soon, but um, it's likely that we'll kind of see um, more younger women too from this as people are losing their jobs. I guess um, the other like main takeaway from uh, for us is that underrepresented groups, um, not only in terms of race, but also gender identity and orientation. Um, so the LGBTQ plus community um, people with these kind of intersectional identities uh, tend to experience chronic homelessness at a much higher rate um, than others. And so by chronic homelessness, what we mean is um, technically it's defined as uh, people who experience homelessness for more than one year. Transgender individuals too might not necessarily feel welcome in, at the kind of organizations that they would prefer to go to. And so that's something that we take very seriously at the Downtown Women's Center to serve and welcome anyone who identifies um, as female. Um, recently, earlier this year, the US Department of Housing and Urban Development um, introduced legislation to try and roll back uh, transgender protections. Um, and so, I mean, policy kind of um, stuff in this area too can serve as a huge barrier. Um, and so that's something we're always concerned about and keeping an eye on and reaffirming you know, our commitment to serving anyone who wants to come in um, as a woman, as someone identifies, who identifies as a femme. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of, and I feel like I could go on, but then I would just like spin into projection. <laughs> right, and, and I totally agree with you that there are these systemic issues that um, yeah. we've seen like, and, and these stigmas that um, surround um, various types of people. And yeah. so, um, going off of that, um, specifically for women, um, 
what are some barriers, whether it be political, environmental, or in institutional, um, do you think stand in the way of alleviating the conditions women experiencing homelessness face? Um, so for us, we see as a um, big need this expansion of gender specific services so that women, people who identify as women feel comfortable accessing um, healthcare services, feel comfortable sleeping somewhere overnight. Um, but I mean, when it really comes down to it, Los Angeles is facing such a severe crisis or shortage of affordable housing that that's really the biggest kind of barrier. Um, so every year, uh, the Los Angeles Homeless Services Authority, which is the kind of coordinating body for the entire, most of the LA region um, in terms of their homelessness response, mechanisms. Uh, they do the annual homeless count, and that's literally an effort to go out and count every person experiencing homelessness um, in their jurisdiction, whether sheltered or unsheltered. Uh, and so in their most recent one, which was released in June, so the 2021, um, the 2021, not 2021, um, they estimated that 509,000 units of affordable housing are currently needed to meet current demand. And the research for that was done before Mar it was done in January. So before, you know, the pandemic like fully hit. So who even knows like what that number is now, but so yeah, the affordable housing thing is a huge issue and one that kind of transcends um, gender. And it's just like a massive area of need and barrier. Wait, that's such a shocking number. Yeah, yeah that's really crazy. <laughs> Especially, like, we don't even know what the number is now with the whole no. pandemic and everything. Yeah, they also oh. found, I, don't quote me on this, but, um, and I can get you the number after that. I think it's people in general would have to make four times the minimum wage in Los Angeles in order to afford the median um, monthly rent here so it's I mean it's just like a huge gap between like you know uh the cost of living and yeah so speaking of like your work how has your time been working at the downtown women's center like what do you enjoy about your job and I heard you said that you just recently got um started working here as well so how has it been yeah, um, I started at the end of March, so most of my time with DWC oh. has actually, yeah, it's been remote, but, um, which is really funny because, you know, you'll be tight with your coworkers, but, like, you've literally never met them, <laughs> so, mm. uh, I mean, in terms, it's been a huge learning experience and, like, really kind of given me this perspective shift that you just talked about, too, um, getting to know, um, our advocates better. So the women who have gone through our advocates program, which is basically women who have experience of homelessness, who um, we've worked with to develop um, kind of skills for storytelling um, without re-traumatizing and re-triggering um, in order to empower them to kind of shift the conversation and be at the forefront of it. Um, so getting to work um, with advocates, um, not only work with them, but like amplify their voices, right? Like letting them be the ones mm -hmm. who are speaking on certain issues um, has been really great because that kind of stuff is um, 
has always been like really near and dear to my heart as a previous like anthropology grad student. Um, and the other thing is just seeing how big of a community, a supportive community DWC has, um, like coming from other nonprofits that you're kind of struggling to make a dent. DWC has been around for so long and we have such like a committed base of supporters who will post like, oh, we need towels. And like in two weeks, we'll just have like a massive influx of towels, like more towels than we could even possibly use. So seeing that response and especially during this pandemic and getting requests from students like you who are just looking for new ways to like respond creatively to the needs of the community um, is, it always lifts me up. Um, so those two Thank things. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's one of the best parts, honestly. I love that. And yeah. it's just amazing to hear how, I mean, willing people are to contribute to the cause. Like even giving those paper towels, like may not seem like much, but in reality it is like, yeah, it's, it's a huge resource. And so- yeah. Honestly, I was surprised by it when I first started <laughs> because homelessness is such a politicized and like emotional issue and you often feel like it's impossible. Um, but then like when you come into a space like DWC or your organization, I'm sure you see that there is this really built in support and that like the foundation is there. There's something to build on. There's something to be moving towards and it's really exciting. Right, and it's definitely rewarding. And yeah. I agree with you like, there's this perspective shift where, um, I mean, even prior to working with Bruin Shelter, our mm -hmm. student organization, I didn't even know that student experiencing homelessness was an issue or that was yeah. even for me. And so definitely being able to be a part of this cause um, changes my mindset, mm -hmm. um, allows me to be more grateful for the things that I have. And so um, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, so happy um, to. Building off what you said earlier about the affordable housing in LA. How do you think COVID-19 has impacted women experiencing homelessness? Well, yeah, so that's a really good question. Um, and unfortunately, I feel like we have half the, or not even half the answer because we don't really have the research and data yet on it because um, it's still happening, it's still evolving. Um, but I mean, so the question for me is also, like we've seen research that shows that women are being harder hit than men by the economic fallout of the COVID-19 pandemic in terms of um, kind of industries and sectors that have seen the most job losses, but then also in terms of um, school closings and kind of just like massive changes to the parameters of our daily lives. Um, and so we've really seen this increase in need um, as a kind of firsthand service provider. Uh, so for context last year, um, as part of our day center, I mentioned the meals. Um, last year we served, I believe 119,000 meals to the community. And this year we're on track to serve more than 210,000. So it's almost doubled and we're providing these every day to go at the front gates. Um, and so that's just kind of like our we've used it as our barometer of like, okay, what is the need that we're seeing? Um, and so beyond that, I mean, just, you know, with kind of everything closing down, um, places that women might've been able to seek resources before, like local libraries or just somewhere to charge their phones. I mean, 
those places are all closed. So it's becoming harder for people to access resources, to make connections to services that can, um, you know, change their experience. Um, and so that's been something that's really difficult. Um, in terms of our work, we've really come to confront what we're thinking about um, as like a technological divide. So everything's shifting to remote, right? As well as a lot of our case management services. Um, but for women who are currently experiencing homelessness, like access to a phone or internet, or again, like a charger isn't something you can take for granted. Um, so trying to overcome that in terms of like service provision is another. I was also looking through your website and I noticed that you guys had a Together House fundraising campaign that you guys developed during COVID-19. Do you think you can elaborate on that? Yeah, um, I'd love to. Uh, so thanks so much for bringing that up. It was a lot of work for our team and it was a huge success. Um, every year, DWC uh, traditionally hosts an on-site annual uh, gala for people to gather and to raise funds and auction, um, cool speakers. Uh, last year we had Natasha Rothwell from Insecure on HBO. Um, she worked with us again this year. Right, so we usually have that annual annual gala. Um, and this year because, and that's on-site, in-person, um, one night only, and that's uh, helps us raise a really substantial amount of funds um, for program services. Um, but this year with everything, you know, being remote um, and not being able to congregate in person, we switched to a virtual, the Together House campaign, which lasted for three weeks. Um, it relied, it harnessed peer-to-peer <laughs> -peer, um, fundraising kind of techniques and technologies to encourage our community um, to donate themselves to um, fundraise with their network on behalf of DWC. Um, and also given that everyone is struggling this year um, to just have conversations about homelessness, about its causes, its solutions, its stereotypes, um, so that we can you know, start to build a more supportive and larger community. Um, and so we equipped people with talking points for that. Um, we hosted a number of virtual events um, to learn more about the issues, to hear from different people about it. And it really, I mean, I'm not gonna say that for my colleague who was uh, the one coordinating most of it, that it was, um, you know, to, like super easy to do. Uh, it definitely involved a lot of work, but she made it seem totally natural and it was a huge success. We exceeded our goal. We got so much positive feedback um, and kind of, words of support from our community who are looking for more opportunities like this. So we're actually thinking even when things go back to, you know, 100% normal, we'll continue to like build out this virtual um, component uh, because it also allows for more inclusive inclusivity, right? Um, like there's only a certain amount of people who are gonna be able to afford a expensive ticket to like a dinner gala. Um, and then bid on auction items there. So um, we were just really excited to see how much more inclusive this um, campaign was for everyone in our community. Really interesting or cool how you guys made like such a creative like approach instead of having a gala, just cause obviously that couldn't be hosted in person and all this stuff. And then the fact that you guys managed to include like conversation and talking points 
so that other people could also like get involved is very interesting as well. Yeah, I think it's um, helped us kind of see like um, areas for growth in like a new way, like as kind of confining um, and difficult as the pandemic has been. Um, it's also like, I mean, I think for everyone, right? Like it's opened all our eyes to like new possibilities and ways of working around things and making connection. And then lastly, we want to remind our audience that not only are these conversations important, but also learning the ways in which we can help combat these societal problems. So, Anita, what, do you, what are some practical ways for community members to get involved and help women experiencing homelessness? Um, so thank you so much for asking. Uh, I mean, the big one, of course, is to donate if you have the means, um, whether that's financially mm -hmm. or um, lightly used goods, whether it's to DWC or to your local um, homeless services or um, domestic violence uh, service agency. Um, for DWC specifically, we are also encouraging um, supporters who want to be more involved, especially during the holidays, um, to help us either by assembling um, toiletry kits and snack packs uh, themselves or um, hosting a drive with family and friends or fundraising so that you can then buy the materials to include in them. Um, and these are actually really helpful and important to our community. Um, so toiletry kits, um, which include things like toothbrushes, even socks, shampoo and stuff um, are really helpful to our community who might not have access to them otherwise. Um, snack packs, you know, we all need food. Um, so, I mean, we have a handful of advocacy and learning resources online. So again, recognizing that, you know, people's capacity to give or even just buy items for like a toiletry kit um, is a bit constrained right now. Just going um, to our website or someone else's website, uh, but please come to ours <laughs> um, to learn about the issues as well as its solutions, which do exist. We just have to invest in them and kind of equipping yourself with the tools to, whether it's submit public comment or just um, talk to friends or kind of come that stereotypes as you encounter them and turn them into learning opportunities. Um, we also see as super valuable. And last but not least, um, having conversations with friends and family um, about your own situation. Um, it's a kind of a, it can be a vulnerable thing to do, but ending homelessness can start before someone becomes homeless. So understanding where people in your network are at and having a kind of safety plan in place is something that can be really valuable, like identifying resources for each other. Um, that's another thing that we like to tell people that they can do if they don't have means for other ways to support. Yeah, thank you so much for supplying with the, us with those like actions and all that stuff that we could do to like not only just advocate for women experiencing homelessness, but to educate ourselves as well. Yeah. So, yeah. So that <laughs> concludes the questions that we have for you today. Anita, do you have any last things you want to share with us? The other thing, the only thing I'd want to share is how happy I am to be here and grateful I am to you guys um, and to anyone who's listening for taking the time to really like delve into these topics and have these conversations and hold space for like compassion, um, even where there might be like, you know, fear or lack of understanding. Um, and I think that's 
kind of bridging those areas is just really where like solutions can start. And I'm so happy to have um, you guys as part of our network now. Um, and when we open again, uh, we would love to have you or anyone from your organization or community on site for a tour. Um, it's a really dynamic and loving place and we'd be so happy to see you and continue the conversation. So yeah, thank you Anita for taking the time to speak with us today and for sharing DWC's mission and knowledge with us and our listeners. We would also like to emphasize the call to actions mentioned previously and we'll link them in the description for you guys to check out. Yeah, and also follow Bruin Shelter on Instagram to learn more about ways to get involved in our community and learn more about information about the housing crisis in Los Angeles. So stay tuned for our next episode of One Roof, Many Stories.